0: Would you please turn with me to Luke's Gospel in chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, and uh, we're going to follow on the Palm Sunday theme and look at the last part of the story after the Lord Jesus has ridden or at the time when the Lord Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19 and verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build up an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. And they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Please keep your Bibles open there. Michael Warburton was a missionary that my parents knew. Uh, he, he as uh Uh, in his retirement he lived in Berkshire and he was a regular preacher at their church but in the 1960s Michael and his wife Frances went out to Zambia to be missionaries and the Lord really blessed their labor out there but while they were working out on the mission station Michael was suddenly and very dramatically struck down with spinal meningitis and it was a race to get him to a hospital out of deep in Africa back to uh, the UK where he could be treated and uh, it took some time but they managed to get him out and get him back and the Lord helped him but his life was reduced to a wheelchair uh, uh, rather than the formal abilities that he had before. That was about 1961 to 1962. and While they were uh, recovering, getting ready, and praying about what they should do for the future, what does God want us to do now? uh, News came to them that there had been some political unrest in the part of Zambia where they had been working. And gangs had been going around burning down buildings. And three houses had been burnt down on the mission station, including theirs. Everything they had had been burnt to total ashes. This left them wondering, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do? It's, it's, it's a little bit confusing. And they were praying about this matter. Lord, do you want us to go back or not? And a, a, a lady came up to him and said, what does God have to do? Does he have to hit you in the head? He's put you in a wheelchair. Your house has been burnt down. And there's certainly a work here in this country for you to do. And uh, that left them thinking, Lord, is that that really what you're saying? You don't want us to go? And after they were praying, a letter came through the post from a young boy. And the young boy said, Mr. Warburton, if you will come back, I will push you in the wheelchair wherever you want to go uh, for as long as you want me to help you. And they were so touched by that, and they realized that the people in Africa really did want them to go back. The Lord had been blessing their work. And so bravely, with Michael in a wheelchair, they set off to go back to Zambia. But little did they know what a reception they were going to receive News of their arrival had been told uh, in the churches before they came. And Michael, in his own words, says this about the journey. They had driven 200 miles from the airport to the mission station. He says, about a mile from the station, people were gathered on both sides of the road. As we came close to the mission station, we were only able to drive along about five miles an hour, for the folk were singing and clapping their hands as they escorted the car some even had tree branches they waved at the house they where we were to stay over 300 people had gathered some staying on into the night serenading our return i could not tell whether i was laughing or crying most of the time it was all so wonderful as we thought back to those days when we wondered just what our reception might be remembering the political unrest that there was It was after nine o'clock that night before we were able to do any unpacking for the night. Thousands of Africans had prayed daily for our return. They told us that day after day, as they worked in their gardens, they prayed that the missionaries might be able to come back. They had almost given up hope. Then one day it was announced in church that we would be returning. There was a tremendous joy among the people and they expressed this to us as we made our way back To the station. (laughs) Now, when I read that story, I couldn't help thinking, you know, that sounds like Palm Sunday, doesn't it? You know, and it's a lovely thing when God's servants who carry the message of the gospel receive such a warm welcome and are well received. It reminds us of what happened that day in. AD 32, when the Lord Jesus Christ rode on that donkey into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan, four to five days before Passover was to begin. The Graphic Bible, which is a comic Bible, and I like comic Bibles for my own reading as well as for the children's work. It says this little caption in there. It said, it was as if King David had returned to restore Israel to its former glory. And I think that captures the mood and the excitement among God's people in that moment. But sadly, some people didn't see it like that. And some people didn't get it because they were spiritually ignorant if you look down in verse 42 the Lord Jesus said if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it is hidden from your eyes sadly there were some who were blinded to the three things that were happening and being revealed to them that day and I want us to have a look at this today uh, because you know we have the same problem in our day as well the spiritual ignorance today is still the number one problem for people not coming to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 said, The world, by its wisdom, knew not God. That's spiritual ignorance. And that's where the world is today. Romans one twenty one says, Their foolish hearts have been darkened. And mankind is blind. You want to know why most people are not in churches today that will preach the gospel? It's because of spiritual ignorance. So I want us to have a look at this today and see the things that they were ignorant of and test ourselves to find out whether we've been ignorant of these things as well. Because they were ignorant of the person of Christ, the purpose of Christ, and the prophecy of Christ, as we will see. Let's begin then, first of all, with their ignorance of the person of Christ in verse 37 to forty says in verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. You know, in 1917 the British forces led by General Edmund Allenby uh, in the Middle East managed to defeat the Ottoman Turk Empire and regain or gain uh, control of the city of Jerusalem. And that became a very important thing uh, in Israel's future, preparing the way for the Jewish people to go back to the land not long after that you have the balfour declaration and uh, that then led on ultimately to the re-establishment of israel after the second world war but when general allenby conquered jerusalem he refused to ride into jerusalem on a horse as was the normal for generals in those days when he got to the outside of the jaffa gate he got down off his horse and he walked through the gates into the city and they said why are you doing that you're the you're the conqueror who's done this and he was a bible believing christian and he said this only one person deserves the right to ride into jerusalem (laughs) and that's the lord jesus christ you see general allenby understood who jesus is and he recognized, as he did, uh, and those people did that day, who the Lord Jesus Christ is. So did the disciples who were with the Lord. Verse 37 tells us that they were joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. If you do a cross-reference with John 12, you'll see that uh, the, the miracle that is referred to here is the raising of Lazarus. And Lazarus has just been raised, and that miracle is still very powerfully in their memory. And even more recently on this day, the Lord Jesus had just on this day, we believe, healed the blind man bartimaeus so his powerful miracles have been seen and you'll notice his disciples the crowd of disciples there and in verse 39 they're the ones who are rejoicing in what the lord jesus had done you see as the lord jesus said these miracles testify to who he is and that's why they praised him with divine praise from the psalms in verse 38 they said blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord that's a quotation from psalm 118 verse 26 and it became a messianic phrase and they recognize the lord jesus is the one who's coming in the name of the lord kurios the word for god they recognize recognize his divinity and they recognize him as the messianic king and they're praising him Uh, and praising him for who he is and what he's done and they take another praise it's interesting Luke doesn't use the Hosanna uh, phrase in his gospel I guess that may be because Luke was a Gentile and he was writing for a Gentile and and he didn't think that the Hebrew word would mean so much so he quotes something else they said that day peace in heaven and glory in the highest now does that ring any bells do you remember where that was before at Christmas wasn't it the angels sang that but they sang peace on earth. These people sang peace in heaven because they recognized that's where the son of God has come from and glory in the highest to him. They were praising the Lord Jesus. But sadly, not everybody acknowledged Jesus and was uh, aware of who he was. In verse 39, it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They were crossed. you notice they called Jesus teacher. And that means that they were willing to accept Jesus as a rabbi. But that's where it ends. You're certainly not worthy of these words. And Jesus' reply is classic in verse 40. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet... The stones will cry out. (laughs) And that's a a beautiful phrase. You know, in the Bible, inanimate objects are made to cry out in prophecy. In Habakkuk chapter 2, there's a reference to the stones and the timber crying out in judgment. We think of Abel's blood crying out from the ground back in the beginning of Genesis. We think of the trees of the field clapping their hands at the return of the remnant to the land. Well, Jesus says, If if these disciples of mine keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And uh, God will make even creation praise him in that way. There may be a double meaning to that as well. Because remember in the New Testament, in the book of Peter, disciples of Jesus are called living stones, aren't they? And uh, it's very possible that the Lord was saying, the Gentiles will uh, praise me if the Jews don't praise me. But the point is this. These Pharisees didn't recognize the Lord Jesus. They were ignorant of his person. And like the woman at the well, the Lord Jesus said to her, if you had known who it is who you're speaking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She was ignorant of his person as well. And that's how so many people are today, aren't they? They're ignorant of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Yes, they're willing to call him a teacher, or some great man. I remember one of the mothers who comes to mothers and toddlers from years back. Uh, she said, she said uh, she, she, I, I was trying to witness to her and she said, I'm sorry, I don't believe. She said, I, I acknowledge that Jesus was a real person, but I don't believe he was who you think he was. And this is how the world looks at the Lord Jesus. I wonder, who do you say Jesus is? That was the question he asked his disciples. Who do you say I am? And it's a very important thing for every single one of us.
1: John Newton, many years
0: ago, the great hymn writer, he wrote a little ditty that said, What think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme. You can't be right on the rest unless you think rightly of him. And he is the touchstone of all our theology. We must believe who he is. And the Bible declares the Lord Jesus to be divine. Let me show you something that's helped me to just remember uh, the reasons why we as Christians can say that Jesus is divine. It's based on the hand, all right? And there's five things here that will point out who Jesus was, okay? He is... He has the honor of God. If you read in the Bible, he has the honor of God. He's worshipped. But we read about Thomas bowing down and calling Jesus my Lord and my God. That would be blasphemy if Jesus wasn't divine. He has the honor of God. He has the attributes of God. He is able to do the things that God does. We read of him walking on the water. In the book of Job, chapter 9, walking on the water was an act of God. So Jesus is God. He has God's attributes. He has the names of God. You can see in scripture, the names in the Old Testament that are given to the God of the Jews, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, those names are given to Jesus later on in the New Testament. He has the names of God. He does the deeds of God. Who can make the blind see? This has not been done since the creation of the world, they said in John's gospel. Surely you can see who he is. He does the deeds of God, creative miracles. And at the end of the book of Revelation, we read, he sits on the throne of God. He, sits, he said he sits on his father's throne. So he has the seat of God. Hands, honor, attributes, names, deeds, and seat of God. <laughs> we can see Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He is God the Son. Don't be ignorant of his person like they were that day. You can't have what he gives unless you acknowledge who he is. And then secondly, we see they were ignorant of his purpose in verse 41 through to 42. Jesus said, it says this in verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The Lord Jesus Christ came for an express purpose to bring peace for the people. And that peace was going to be brought through the death that he was going to uh, die on the cross at Calvary. We realize, we read in the book of Colossians and in the book of Romans that his death was to end the enmity between God and man and pay for our sins so that we can be reconciled to the God who Adam divided us from in the garden of eden and th- this is what christ came to do as it was revealed in prophecy but the sad fact is so many of them were ignorant of this fact and jesus wept over the city when he realized why they were like this and what was going to rec- become as a result of it the sad fact is that many of them were more concerned about appeasing rome than appeasement with God they were more concerned about keeping Rome happy than finding favor with God and that was the biggest mistake they ever made and you know what dear friends that's like many people today as well they're ignorant of the of the purpose of Christ's coming they don't realize he came to bring us peace with God Romans three seventeen says the way of peace they've not known and they're, they're ignorant of the fact that Jesus came to bring full salvation. We see this in their, in their lives, uh, the result of it, what happens in people's lives. You know, today is the birthday of the children's author, Hans Christian Andersen. That just happens to be by coincidence. I heard that this morning on the radio after I prepared this sermon. But Hans Christian Andersen had a perpetual fear of dying. He was absolutely paranoid of being mistaken for being dead and being put in a coffin and being buried before he was dead. So he he had a little note he carried in his pocket all the time. He said, check me again, I may not be dead, I might still be breathing. And he put a note out when he went to bed, by his bed. I'm not dead, I just look like I'm dead. (laughs) He was so worried about this, he had a real fear of death. But isn't that like so many? You know, we don't realise what Jesus has done to give us peace. Peace with God and therefore peace in our own hearts about the future. If you've not yet seen the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for you, then I feel sorry for you. Robert Murray McShane, in a a sermon he preached on this matter, said this. He is the same saviour now as he was that day when he wept over Jerusalem. If he were on earth now as he was then, I have no doubt that there, would be, that there are many here tonight over whom he would weep as he did over impenitent Jerusalem. And that's true, the Lord Jesus paid for our sins. Let's not be hard-hardened towards his, his gospel and the salvation that he can give us. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our lord jesus christ put your trust in him and find salvation peace and have peace for where you're going when you die and peace in your relationship with god now the third thing they had ignorance of was over the prophecy of christ and this is what verse 43 to 44 ends with it says the days will come Upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, they will dash you to the ground and the ch- and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Years ago, there was a, 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 a brochure that was being made for tourism in Israel, and I think it was in China where you know we have a lot of these, find a lot of these things on the internet where the Chinese mistranslation words in from English into Chinese. And uh, the tourist board from Israel put out a, uh, an advert and they wanted it translated, and it, and it said Jerusalem, there's no place like it. <laughs> when they got the leaflet back in Chinese, it said Jerusalem, there's no such place. <laughs> It was a total mistranslation. But you know what? That is what was actually going to happen in Jesus' prophecy. The place that was was going to be totally destroyed. And he warned them that because of their rejection of him and their ignorance of him, they would see the destruction of Jerusalem. And this is what happened in AD 70, when the Roman general Titus brought his troops against Israel and against Jerusalem in particular and the words of the Lord Jesus were devastatingly fulfilled uh, It says that they would would build an embankment against them and circle them. Well, this was true. Titus wanted the Jewish people who had rebelled against their taxes and so on uh, to yield and surrender, but they wouldn't. And uh, it was a difficult situation. So at Passover on the 9th of April, 40 years after Jesus said this, and that's a significant number because 40 is the number of testing. Uh, Forty years later, they surrounded Jerusalem and they built their siege ramps against it. The Romans were engineers and they were masters at sieging cities and bringing them down. And uh, what Jesus said tragically came literally true. They will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls. Now, Titus had hoped the people would surrender, but they were willing to starve themselves to death. And it became a terrible thing that happened uh, at that time. You can read about it in Josephus's book, The Antiquity of the Jews and the Wars of the Jews. It's, it's terrible reading. And as a result of them uh, holding out inside Jerusalem, the Romans, when they did invade, they, they, he gave the command, don't destroy the temple. Don't destroy it, because Caesar loves to take the temples and set his gods up in the temples. So the the command went not to destroy the temple. But in the chaos, the people fleeing from the Roman soldiers, the giant candlesticks that were in the temple were knocked over, and flames from those candlesticks set fire to the curtains, and this set the limestone building on fire. And as that building came crashing down, the gold, of which the temple was famous for, melted. And it ran between all these rocks. Now years and years and years after this had happened, people, everyone passing through Jerusalem, would pick up the rocks. Is there any gold? So what Jesus said literally came true. Not one stone will be left on another as a result of that. And that was what Jesus was weeping over because he knew this would be the cost. Now why was God going to give them such a heavy judgment? Well, the answer is in the last part of verse 44, as Jesus said, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You see, this day on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem was inexcusable for them not to know that their Messiah was coming because God had prophesied it. Now, if you have a Bible and you've got the uh, ability to find it quickly, turn with me to Daniel chapter 9 a moment, please. Daniel chapter 9. We've already read about how Zechariah had prophesied that the Lord would ride to Jerusalem on a donkey, but the timing of that is given in a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, we have the What Sir Isaac Newton called the greatest prophecy in the Bible. He said that the scriptures could be validated by this one prophecy alone. Now I'm going to read it. And if you go cross-eyed, just hang in there. okay? Verse 24. This is an angel giving this prophecy to to Daniel the prophet uh, about 600 to 700 years before Christ came. And it says 77's are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree To restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come Like like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation, and the until the end, that is, decreed, is poured out on him. Now, that's a heavy load, and it's very complicated. So here is, I'm going to try and break it down simply and briefly for you okay in this prophecy we're told of six things that god is going to fulfill by the time this prophecy is over first of all he's going to finish transgression secondly he's going to put an end to sin thirdly he's going to atone for wickedness now those were the things jesus was going to do in his death on the cross he was going to atone for sin put an end to wickedness and uh, pay for transgression and all those are words of sin then as a result of that and the coming in of his kingdom he was going to bring in righteousness bring in righteousness into the world he was going to seal up prophecy all prophetic matters would come to an end and finally uh, it would result in the anointing of the most holy there's a debate among scholars whether that means the most holy place or the most holy person i think it's the most holy person the lord jesus and God said He's going to bring those six things to pass, and He's going to do it in a period of four hundred and ninety years. Fascinating little thing, this. You, can, if those who study chronology and the Bible know that there are four hundred ninety, four hundred ninety. 490 stages through Israel's history and God says when when this one is fulfilled all these things will be done now you say where do you get the 490 from it's the 70 times seven the seven there refers and, and some of your bibles may say the 70 weeks it's 70 weeks of years It's it's seven years, uh, seven-year groups. The Jewish people have a Sabbath year as well as a Sabbath day, and the seven-year cycle is a very important thing in Jewish uh, uh, reckoning of time. And God says, when seventy of those seven-year, when we've had seventy Sabbaths and we've had seventy sevens, then this will all be fulfilled what i've just prophesied those six things and then god breaks down the prophecy into three stages where it's going to happen he gives three mile markers uh, along the way the first is that after seven lots of seven years which is 49 years 7 7 to 49 they will have rebuilt the wall in jerusalem and that's, of course, exactly what happened with Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. And it was 49 years uh, and the rebuilding of the city uh, from the Old Testament, the 49-year time. The wall itself was built in 52 days, as we read, but the rebuilding of Jerusalem and uh, the establishment, 49 years. Then God says there will be another group of sevens, only this time it's 62 Lots of seven years. And that is, if you add them up, 434 years. Now do the math, 49, add 434, brings you to a total of 483 years. And he says when that happens, that's when the anointed one is going to come and present himself as king. This is when the ruler comes, the the anointed one uh, in this passage. And he will at that time be, after that, be cut off, which is a reference for his death, for his people. There's another seven to come, which is a time of judgment in verse uh, 27, but that's future. And I'll explain why that is in a minute, so we won't talk about that. But you see, in that prophecy, what we have is the time period for the coming of the Messiah, The anointed one, the ruler, when he will be uh, presented to Israel. Now, we're indebted to a great scholar by the name of uh, Sir Robert Anderson. Sir Robert Anderson was the head of Scotland Yard in the days of Queen Victoria. And he loved the Lord and he loved the Bible and he was fascinated by this prophecy and he wanted to get the timings right so he went down the river to the Greenwich Observatory and he said to the people of Greenwich can you help me get the timings of these right because we're talking about translating from Hebrew years which are made up of 30 day months and they have different cycles and and Sabbath years and, and Jubilee years and all the rest of it. Can you help me get that into English so we can find out when it began and when it finished and they did and what he found out Blew him away. Do you know what they found out? They found out it began in the year 445 BC. That was the time when Nehemiah got the permission from the cu- Nehemiah the Cupbearer got the permission from the King Artaxerxes to go and rebuild Jerusalem. You can read about that in Nehemiah chapter two. So we know clearly the starting point. Now you go those 483 years later. Where does it come out? It comes out on the 10th of Nisan, the Hebrew month Nisan, which is the equivalent of April, 10th of Nisan, AD 32. And it's 173,880 days. And on that very day, the Lord Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and presented himself as a king to the people. The exact day, not a day before, not a day after. So when the Lord Jesus said back in Luke, if you had known on this day what would bring you peace and you are ignorant of the time of God's visitation, then you see why they should have known and the sadness of them missing the coming of their Messiah." By the way, there's something very interesting as well. That 10th of Nissan, which is uh, the 6th of April, AD 32. 10th of Nissan is the day when they set the Passover lamb aside for inspection for four days before it's slain as the Passover lamb. And from the 10th of Nisan through for four days, you can read the chapters in, uh, follow this where the Lord Jesus is quizzed. By the Sadducees, about the resurrection, by the Pharisees, about paying taxes, about this, that, whose authority? And they're testing him, testing him, testing him, and they give up. They can't find anything wrong with him. They can't accuse him. He is the spotless lamb of God who came for our salvation. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't prophecy amazing? And this was all fulfilled. Now you're going to say, hang on a minute, minute, John, you're rushing. You forgot. That was a 490-year prophecy. And you've only fulfilled 483. What about the last seven? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was rejected, it was as if God put his hand on the clock. And he stopped that prophecy. And a time gap has come in. And we're waiting for the last seven years to be fulfilled. So that all the things like the fulfilling of righteousness, the sealing up of prophecy, all those things can come in the future. But it won't be until that last seven of of those years is fulfilled. And we are here in this gap in between. That last seven years is what the book of Revelation is about. The last seven years, what we call the tribulation, which will end at the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes back to reign. And then the prophecy will be fulfilled. So verse 27 is is a sermon in itself that we'll look at one day. But I want you to see this. They were ignorant of the prophecy of Christ. I wonder, are you and I ignorant of the prophecies of Christ? You know, people say, oh, I don't know, there's just no proof that Jesus is God. Look at it. Look at it. You have to be blind not to see it. And isn't that true? There's none so blind as them that don't want to see. Friends, don't be ignorant of the coming Of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to be our saviour. I praise God. Spiritual ignorance. Doesn't have to be terminal. A lovely story told by the missionary Paget Wilkes, who was a missionary to Japan, about one time when they were holding an open-air service. And what they would do is they would go out into the streets of the town and they would gather in a circle and they would sing hymns and praises and one of them would get up and read Bible passages. And when a when crowd had gathered, they would invite people then to come back to the mission hall where they would give the gospel and, and speak to people uh, in, in a more uh, comfortable setting than in the open air. And while they were singing in the open air once, uh, a man who was actually on his way to do something criminal. I won't go into the details because we've got children here. But he was on his way with a hardened heart to go and do sin. And he heard the man standing up and reading the Bible. And he heard the singing. He came over. And as he heard the man read the Bible, he was struck. The man read this word from 1 Corinthians one eighteen: The word of the cross is to them who are perishing foolishness. But to us who have been saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. You know, in a split second, that man heard that word and he thought, well, it's foolishness to me, so I must be perishing. And he started asking, me, asking the people, can you tell me more? They took him back to the mission station, and after showing him the gospel, one hour later, that man gave his life to Christ and was wonderfully saved and went on to become an evangelist himself. And Padgett Wilkes' own testimony was he never went back from that blessed day. How quickly ignorance can be dispersed by the word of God. May God disperse all our hearts' ignorance today, that we may see Christ and flee to him for salvation if we've yet to do so.